Welcome to Ag Credit Set It. In each episode, our hosts sit down with experts from all parts of the agriculture industry to bring you insights and must-have information on all things from farming to finances and everything in between. Opinions expressed in this presentation are intended solely as a general market commentary and do not constitute investment advice or a guarantee of returns. All expressions of opinions are subject to change without notice. Hedging strategies in general are usually intended to limit or reduce risk, but can also be expected to limit or reduce the potential for profit. No assurance can be given that hedging will always be done when needed or appropriate or will not result in net losses. It is highly likely that a risk management strategy will lose money in rising markets. Hedging strategies also include the basis risk, which is the risk that the futures price might not move in normal steady correlation with the cash price of crops, and that this fluctuation in the basis may negate the effectiveness of a hedging strategy. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of futures results. There is always a risk of loss in futures and options trading. Read and examine Quartzsite's disclosure document before seeking Quartzsite services. Hey guys, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Ag Credit Set It. Uh, Matt here again with uh, Brenna. It's been a while. We got Brenna Finnegan uh, sitting down with us today. Yep, it has been a while. So Brenna, how's uh, how's your summer been treating you so well? Long. Long? Yeah. It's, you know, I know this, this episode is not dropping till August, but we're recording in June here. You know, long, what are you going to be saying when it's about August, September time? You're just going to be... Uh, well, I'm going to be a thick in, of... In, in the thick of fairs at that point because oh, we have three right. fairs yeah, right in a row. So you're live with uh, got a lot of calves going to the uh, county fairs that uh, came off the farm this year. I actually don't. I've got some that are going into some auctions. Gotcha. I won't say, but <laughs> I have some going into some auctions you with know, some the, people, and then I the have way, one already sold. The way the feeder prices have been here uh, this year, uh, it's probably not a not a bad thing. Especially we are our county fair, Paulding County, first fair in the state. Um, you know we. Uh, seen tremendous uh, support, almost 75 to 80 cents above market on the feeder sale, which, you know, generally the, the fair feeder sales always bring a little more for the kids. Great support, but, you know. See, our fair doesn't sell feeders. Really? Mm-mm. Yeah, we don't sell feeders at all. So, But, um, you know, it, it kind of, we're talking about prices and I talk about livestock and, you know, um, we deal with a lot of grain farmers. We have farms of our own. One of the big things that I think we look or always question ourselves as our marketing strategy, whether it is livestock or what we're going to be talking about today, commodities. You know, it's managing, uh, you know, and uh, you know that price risk on stuff. It's you know, difficult. You know, it's, it's one of those I look at. You don't know what you don't know. I'm as a farmer. The more you listen, the more questions you seem to have. It snowballs into a whole <laughs> lot more. But that's, uh, you know, we got a couple individuals with us today that uh, we're going to kind of dive into this a little bit on, you know, managing that uh, that price risk and, you know, kind of give some pointers, give, uh, I always say, give the guys the upper edge a little bit, you know, Just a little especially bit. in agriculture, any, any advantage you can gain. Yep. You know, so Brenna, why don't you introduce our guests here? So we have two, we have one, um, that's a local farmer in the area. His name is Evan Kamenick with Kamenick Brothers out of Ashland, Ohio. And then we also have James Schrader with Quartzsite Risk Management, and he's out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you, guys. Welcome. And Glad to be here. Us. Yes. So, Evan, we'll go ahead and start with you. Uh, you're the local local guy in the area here, at least for uh, the Ohio area, Northwest Ohio area. Remember, we're, we're, we're putting this out worldwide. I'm hoping there's people in other countries that can't hear, not know my language. It's trying to listen. So, <laughs> okay, Matt. Anyways, Evan, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, your guys' operation, and, and how you guys came to be. Sure. <clears throat> well, my name's Evan Kamenick, and uh, I'm from Ashland, Ohio. Um, I am part of uh, Kamenick Brothers LLC. We're a uh, a, basically a grain farming operation. We grow corn, beans, and wheat. Um, I have uh, seven brothers, fortunate or unfortunately, not sure which at times, but uh, it's been good um, growing a, uh, a small farm. And um, we've, uh, we've grown quite, quite a bit over the last several years. We farm in several counties now surrounding Ashland, but um, it's, a, it's a family farming operation. We have, um, we have, Oh, between 10 and 15 employees, depending on the uh, time of the year. Um, generally, everybody's fairly busy. We've got a drainage business. We do contract work. 
Um, I actually have a retail mulch business, um, very diversified with what we do. Um, to speak a little bit about myself, um, I'm married to Haley, and I have uh, two children, Adam, he's five, and Ruby is two. Maybe someday they'll listen to this and think I'm uh, maybe full of myself, but uh, it's documented. Or, or they could be saying, <laughs> Dad, why did you make the decisions you do when they, when they get the, the keys to the, the castle and start running stuff? So. <laughs> but at um, any rate, it's, uh, farming is, has been a, uh, it's been a fun experience. Um, my background, I was uh, in high school, was never an FFA. Um, okay. And uh, my parents, they had farmed in the 80s. They went through the, uh, the, the troubles of the 80s, had... My dad and my mom, they farmed until 88, the drought, and then they were done. And my brothers and I, we decided we'd start up, and um, we just kind of grew and grew a bit more. And now, you know, we are where we are today, and it's a real business. Mm -hmm. And I tell people kind of affectionately that um, farming is um, – people look at farms as like a it's, a – it's a fun place to visit. You know, you're going to go visit the family farm. Mm -hmm. But – it, it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine because it's a business and it needs to be treated as such. So fast forward to today, as we've grown, I've always, you know, looked for, you know, different ways of, of improving what we do, trying to meet, you know, the right people. And I'm constantly looking to educate myself or even align myself with the right people to further what we're doing. I've had the pleasure of going down there uh, with his account officer, Hugh, and Right from the beginning, it was impressive from the get-go. From your, the grain setup to the mulch business, everything you guys had going on was like, wow, there's a lot. It's a, a wild lot going place. On. It's, yes, it's, it's it is. It's wild. People, Stay busy. They, they try to find me, and it's like, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing, but I know that the more that uh, we have going on, the more important it is for me to uh, do oh, a better yeah. job. And Evan, I guess uh, the family dynamic, I think, is just one thing I think is awesome. You said seven brothers. I have seven brothers. So are you guys all in the decision-making process together, or is there one that, you know, says, you know, you guys just listen to me, or is it just a more of a family decision-making process, or? Um, it's it's a little bit of a combination of both. So we are in the, the growth mode. We want to work towards becoming a professional business. Okay. So we've actually worked with, you know, some professional business advisors, coaches, whatnot, and, you know, that all started from uh, me going to a program called TPAP, which is called the Executive Program for Agriculture Producers. And it really opened your eyes to what's outside of Ashland, Ohio. Ag is huge. Everything from food processing to um, people who are the middleman, you know, mm -hmm. the, the grocers, whatever. But um, you know, got to meet a lot of different operations, a lot of different operations. And it just kind of opened my eyes that we need to do things differently. And if we're going to be successful, we need to run what we're doing more like a business. Oh, yeah. And I think as part of that process with the diversification you guys have on your farm now with some different income sources, not relying strictly on just uh, row crops. And I guess, how, how have you guys grown? You know, went from family farm um, through the farm crisis to basically starting over to where you're at today. What do you attest? What... How have you guys been able to be successful successful and grow like you have been? Is, is it that diversification? Is it, you know, just the right place, the right time, or taking them risks? Or I mean, I think everybody can say they've got a little bit of luck. Um, but I would say a lot of circumstance, you know, when you're forced to do things that you're not comfortable doing, sometimes taking risks that, that aren't normal, you know, you're, you, you have to think differently. And mm -hmm. you have to kind of scratch and claw to find – you know, the, the way to an answer to a solution. And I remember 2003, um, you know, we were farming a handful of acres. It seemed a lot at the time. Mm -hmm. Now I look at it and it's like, that's something we do in a few hours. It's like, now. how do we stay busy then, you know, right? And, you know, <laughs> then, you know, you couldn't afford to pay yourself because there just wasn't any money mm -hmm. in it. Right now, I still can't afford to pay myself, but <laughs> we can afford to have good employees. And, you know, really the heart of our operation is our employees. We have good people. And because we try to do a good job, we were able to retain and find good people to come help us. And um, I'd say our success now is, is the people. It's because that's, of the that's people. That's awesome. It's part of building the legacy a little bit. I mean. You know, just, just a quick story. So we've got, uh, got an employee. I'll just won't put any names in it. But this guy, great employee. He's, uh, he's been with us for 10 years now. 
And I felt because of who he was, I wanted to pay him a minimum of 40 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So in effect, kind of like a salary. I said, if you work over 40, I'll pay you over 40. If you work less than 40, I'm going to pay you for 40. Great bonus for him, right? He quit on me. So you're hiring, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he quits on me. But the long and the short was he wanted to earn every hour he was there. So okay. I said, I said, employee, I'll tell you what, you work as much as you want. I'll pay you for what you're here. Now, what he doesn't know, maybe you can find out through, the, through this podcast, <laughs> but he gets the difference in a bonus. There you so, go. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're both kind of meeting our goals, but you have to find a way to work with people. And farming is not just, I found out, it's not just driving the tractor or being out in the dirt. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot of the, quote, the dirty work, the back office stuff, the financial, the yes. accounting, the marketing, the stuff that people don't see. That's what, you know, I was uh, talking to a couple people and they watch the uh, YouTube a lot and like, you know, all these farmers now that got YouTube channels and driving trash. Oh man, how do you guys, that's got to be some hard work. I said, the operation of the equipment, that's kind of our relax time. That's, that's the fun part. I said, it's, it's all, like you said, it's all the background, the dirty work that, uh, you know, probably doesn't, uh, not good, to, not good for, uh, for a YouTube video or a podcast, I guess, like who wants to listen to all the, all the gripes we have as farmers, right? Nobody but. wants to watch somebody just sitting there doing <laughs> paperwork, right? <laughs> I'm the guy who turns the light switch off. Because you're the last one to leave, yep. but you're also the one that probably turns it on in the morning, right? Mm, not necessarily. <laughs> I might be. I might be there before or after, but um, we've got a lot of good things in place. And That's Evan, good. I want to give a shout out to our Norwalk team here at Ag Credit and Brenna and Hugh. You know, setting this up. I'm hoping that I always got to give a plug for us. I hope Ag Credit has somehow helped you guys continue your growth as a as a farm operation, and we'll continue that growth. So, and just one comment on that. Um, one of our successes. And this maybe leads into uh, James with Quartzite, but uh, one of the main reasons for our, our successes is aligning ourselves with good people mm -hmm. who, who have the same interests in, in our success. Yes. We like to be, uh, I always tell people, you know, we don't want to, want to be an asset to the operation. We want to be a, just another tool in the toolbox for you. So. Yes. So we'll, we'll come back and we'll talk more with Evan here in a few minutes, but We'll switch over to James here. Um, James, we'll repeat it, I guess. Uh, James Schrader with Quartzite Risk Management out of Fort Collins, Colorado. So go ahead and tell us, give us a little bit about your background. Well, I, uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. Um, I went to school there and eventually found my way down to the Chicago Board Options Exchange, the Chicago Board of Trade, and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Uh, and I spent about a decade down there doing that. And then my wife and I had our first little guy and decided we didn't want to raise kids in Chicago. And so we moved back to Wisconsin to kind of place out in the middle of nowhere. And I went to work for a local co-op as a retail um, futures broker. And like, I didn't love that job, but... I learned a lot in that job as to how to have customers because that was the first time in my financial career that I'd ever had a customer or was okay. really, really responsible to anybody but like the trading firm I happened to work for. Um, and we built some good tools or started working on some good strategies there. And then my wife got sick of living in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, and she's an <laughs> engineer. And I said, well, you find us, find a job somewhere you want to be and I'll go out there and I'll figure it out from there. And uh, about three or six months later, she found a job working at uh, the city of Fort Collins, and we moved out there, and I was just going to quit and figure it out when mm -hmm. I got out there, and a couple of my clients wouldn't let me, and so Quartzite is the result of that, and we've been doing that. This is our fifth season. Um, we'll celebrate our five-year anniversary here coming up uh, next January, I believe, and awesome. looking forward to it. James, I know we was talking before our podcast started here. Kind of go in. I, I just saw it was a very interesting story. Kind of start uh, how you what what led you to Chicago and them initial meetings and uh, getting to getting guys rub shoulders with some of them guys. Well, like I was a child of the '80s, so I uh, got to watch Family Ties growing up, and I was a big fan of Michael J. Fox. Oh yeah, and uh, you know we had we had a lot of things going on in that time frame that were financially related, and somehow that got in my blood. Um, and, you know, growing up on the Christmas tree farm and the other family businesses, kind of the entrepreneurial spirit was in my, my body as well. And so 
When I got to college, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. My high school econ teacher had taken us down to the Board of Trade, the Mercantile Exchange, on a couple different field trips in high school. And as I was kind of stumbling my way through college trying to figure out where I was going to go next, it dawned on me that maybe that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I eventually met someone from Chicago. I was playing poker online in my dorm room. And I hounded that guy for about six months uh, with emails every couple of weeks until he finally brought me down for an interview. And then I went in and interviewed and I started from there. That's awesome. And you were, when you started down there, um, just trying to think, that's when we still had the trading pits where I think those are gone now. It's, it's all electronic now. It's almost all electronic now, but that was, I would say I caught just past the heyday. Gotcha. But I got to, I got to ride that wave down until the electronics really took it over. It always just seemed like, you know, from what you've seen on TV and everything you learned, just seemed like a pretty intense, aggressive area to be in during that, that kind of time, but. Yeah, I mean, it's a it was a physical job. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people that weren't big, tall, stocky dudes, but there were few and far between. It was mostly, you know, people who had some some physicality to them in addition to being able to do the mental part of the job. Gotcha. So um, obviously we're on the path of grain marketing here with this particular podcast. And we'll skip back over to Evan. Um, what types of grain marketing were you doing prior to getting involved with James and his business? So as I got more involved with, um, you know, the farming and marketing become more and more of a need, I kind of started out, you know, the cash marketing, doing things that my dad had done in the past, you know, calling up the elevator, this price looks good, selling it, Sounds good, looks good, whatever. <laughs> kind of market as you need to market it. But um, then it kind of became more of a problem because now you're doing more and you've got more risk. You've got, uh, you know, people who, you know, borrowing, borrowing money from. You kind of have to kind of have a plan. You know, there's got to be a better mousetrap to this. So um, working more with some of the elevators, you know, they've got different um, different things they're doing. As I, as I grew you know, I started to do more with, um, I went from cash contracts to head shoe arrives. You started starting to understand basis contracts and some of those different things. Um, fast forward a little further, um, doing some more research and whatnot. It found out you could do, um, some hedging through the board. So, you know, got some different, uh, brokerage accounts and, uh, got, um, now I think, um, I've have two, two or three different brokerage accounts, but with, a uh, different brokers, and it's kind of funny because starting out, it's like this is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, after the fact, you find out that the brokers aren't necessarily they're good brokers and bad brokers. A good broker can help you, a bad broker can just I don't know, they can almost set you back. But at any rate, that gave me the first taste of a futures trading, you know, buying futures contracts, options, whatnot. So, fast forward to today, um, doing a little bit more research, found out that, um, you know, there is another way of doing this. And there's actually people who aren't brokers, but uh, kind of specialize in um, some of the uh, dynamics of, uh, of marketing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people with different experience. And I was on uh, the website, newwagtalk.com, and uh, come across this guy that um, was doing something different than most people. He's talking about the Greeks and, and all these different things. And, and well, actually he wasn't specifically, it was actually somebody who, um, uh, had uh, worked with him mm-hmm. and, um, it's like, it just kind of piqued my interest. So I got, um, I looked this guy up and, uh, courtside risk management and, um, there's a phone number. So I called the guy up, I'm driving a sprayer and, uh, spraying along. I said, well, I got time to waste. I'm spraying. I can <laughs> sit there and talk to somebody with a headset on. So, I just called him out of blue and he answered the phone and I think we talked for two, three hours. You know, just a random phone call, just talking about uh, everything from theory to things he did to some of the the stories of of what he did on the floor. Mm -hmm. And um, so that phone call ended and um, I didn't really do anything with with James at that point, but um, it was probably another year or so after that um, I looked it into a little deeper and I said, well, maybe it makes sense to try this. And what I did was I looked at um, um, spreading out what I did instead of doing everything 100% myself. I did a third with him, a 
third myself okay. and a third with the co-op. And I wanted to kind of, you know, weigh and measure. See, see at the end of the year, who's kind of the one shining a little bit. Yeah. See who made the most sense in terms mm -hmm. of, of risk management and just try to, you know, kind of sift through the, through, um, you know, the, uh, you know, all the chaff a little bit and kind of see what makes sense, you know, to fit our operation. And uh, long story short, I found out that uh, working with somebody who actually knew what they were doing um, took a lot of stress out of my life. Oh, yeah. And I have a young family. Um, I have um, a lot of other stresses with, um, you know, growing the business that I'm, I've found out that, you know, maybe instead of doing things kind of, um, I don't know what the best word is, um, not the best of my abilities, you know, maybe seek people who really excel in, in those mm -hmm. areas. Surround yourself with uh, people that are looking out for the best in your operation. Yes. And I guess, Evan, one, one thing I want, you said your first initial contact with Unisprayer, two to three hours, just talking about your operation, different, bouncing different things off, mm -hmm. off with, uh, with James. I'm just curious, when you were just working with a broker, had anybody ever given you that time to really get to know your operation like that? On on an initial conversation, like I, to me that just it fits into what we do as relationship lenders. I just see building that relationship. I mean, not knowing you from Adam, he you know basically opened the book for you to you know hey, I'm going to tell you everything that you're going to ask, and hopefully something sticks. And you'll find you know talking to 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 James, he's not a salesperson. He would never make a sales guy. <laughs> I mean, he's That's true. Uh, he, he's just not a sales guy, but he wasn't there, you know, trying to, you know, pump a position, so mm -hmm. to speak with the broker, the broker would be like, you know, the, we want to do the, this. Their job is sales. I'm sure a broker, I mean, they're, they're, they're to, to push a, push a product, which is their service. I mean, and the broker, we think doing a three-way option trade is, is great. So I'd say, Hey James, what do you think about this three-way option trade? And he'd say, well, why would you do that? It's equivalent to one short future. Okay, mm -hmm. that kind of makes some sense right there. You know, the, the brokers, you know, they have a bias to to churn churn trades, make money. James is trying to build a relationship by doing good risk management, not necessarily doing something because he has a personal bias. Mm -hmm. And um, it kind of opened my eyes that uh, you know there's there's a different way of doing this, and it sounds like this could be a good way to look at. That's that is awesome. James, I want to bounce to you now, <laughs> sir. So, you know, we heard a success, a success story here. You know, as a farmer, I have just met you. What can you do for me that I can't learn when I pull open my computer up, I look at my local co-ops page, and I bid off of that, and listen, listen to the radio and the futures updates every day? That I can get all the information I need from there, right? I don't need anybody else's help, correct? I mean, that's <laughs> one way to do it. I think what we do, you know... Trying to sum this up in a in an audio format in thirty minutes or sixty minutes or even if we went three hours, you know, I I'm trying. I don't think it's possible for me to even get to what we do in mm -hmm. that, that time frame. But I think if you if you really distill it down, you know, we charge people a flat fee every year. We have a relationship with a low cost broker, so we don't tr pay a lot to trade. We manage we we do the job of managing the risk, and I like to think we're pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, my Old job on the floor was that of an option market maker, and option market makers are risk managers by nature because that's a big part of what you have to do. And when I got onto the the, the customer facing side of this business, I was very unhappy with what I saw being passed along as useful information. Um, and so I wanted to start an alternative to to show folks like this is how it gets done in the in the world of finance, mm -hmm. when you make that trade with the, you know, when you go in and you make a trade through through your broker, that's going to be done. Ultimately, the other side of that is probably going to be a market maker somewhere. And that market maker is essentially the house. And I wanted to show folks that like, no, no, there's really good tools to measure this risk. And once you have a tool to measure the risk, you've got a way to manage it. But until you've even begun to measure it, you can't really manage it if you don't know what you're trying to fix. And so I really wanted to create a, a, a way to show folks like, hey, we can quantify this and then we can fix it. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of different ways to fix it. 
And a lot of those things are going to be situational based on the markets, based on the individual, you know, based on all manner of things at the time. And trying to fix that problem is really what ultimately led Quartzite to its existence. That is, that is very impressive. And I just go back to, it's just building that relationship. I thought, I mean, very interesting. We was talking, you know, when you moved out to, to Colorado, um, your customers didn't want you, they, they wanted your services. They basically said, we're not going with anybody else. So you're going to basically, you're going to continue to work with us, whether you like it or not. Yeah, sound it, type there of was thing. a little, there was a little of that. I was, <laughs> I was kind of pushed into it and ultimately I'm glad they did because I'm really happy with what it's become four and a half mm-hmm. years later, you know? So you obviously have quite a bit of background. Can you give us um, several different tools to help manage risk? What could people use or how to go about marketing? Well, you guys like to talk about the toolbox here. Um, And and I think it's important to recognize whenever we're talking about risk management, there are a lot of tools in the toolbox. And generally speaking, it's going to be a combination of tools that's going to get the job done. It's not like there's a silver bullet in options contracts or futures contracts or random, you know, OTC stuff like accumulators or cash contracts or um, even crop insurance. Like all of those are tools for managing mm-hmm. risk, but no one of them is going to do the job effectively. And the mix that is required is going to depend. Sometimes that's going to change day to day when we start talking about what's the most efficient thing to do right now. Sometimes it might change within a, a few minutes here or there the the choice needs to be made now and ultimately doing a good job of managing risk in the financial markets is, is effectively a full-time job and these days with you know overnight markets it's two full-time jobs mm-hmm. so i was wondering has things changed a lot in the last four years just the way technology advanced i mean are you is it is it more I always kind of wonder, especially with uh, social media and how we get information almost to the second it happens. Does that affect how you do stuff now that information is just hitting the markets in general, just, I mean, like spot on as soon as something happens? You know, we're not, we're not sitting there watching the news feed to do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, we do effectively takes a very neutral view of the markets and we don't want to chasing things here and there right. just because some headline comes across because mainly I don't know who had that headline 10 minutes ago and I don't know who's going to have it 10 minutes from now and it might change their analysis and all, all these other things. I, I like to treat the market as a random number generator and then I like to work within that randomness itself and figure out a good strategy to solve the problem uh, of a complex risk management problem which is essentially grain and soybean production. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing important to all our listeners out there, exactly what James just said. You know, he looks at, you know, the data in front of the numbers. Don't hinge all your decision-making off what's happening in social media. I think I hear that so much anymore, especially and probably our younger producers that, you know, oh, I, I heard this on Twitter this morning, you know, it's, you know, almost to a point, put, put your, put your uh, blockers on and just – you know, look, you work with your experts and kind of, you know. It's more about being proactive than reactive. Yeah, exactly. And 100%. that's exactly what markets, I mean, generally the markets are reactive to whatever's going on around in the world. But in your case, it's more so about making the plan for when something goes yeah. haywire or if it's not, like how can we maximize everything? We tend to have, you know, in general, we go, we kind of think with a weekly mindset and we'll have up and down orders out in the marketplace to manage the risk because the risk picture, when you start dealing about, and I'm going to use uh, a word here, complex nonlinear risk, right? It's not a straight line. There's curves to it. And when you start having risks that looks like that, it can't be just a, a one-time-and-done hedge. Like Things need to be done on the regular as the market's moving, and in order to accomplish that, you need to have a plan ahead of time for what, like, market just rallied 25 cents, corn's up a quarter, what are we going to do? If you're asking yourself the, the, the question, what are we going to do when it's up 25 cents, you should have asked that question before it moved. Mm-hmm. Because and you should just be a matter of executing at that point. Oh, it's up 25 cents. This is the plan. Boom. And done. Or vice versa. It's down 25 cents. This is the plan. It. it 
it takes the it takes the emotion out of it too when you do that. You don't have to worry about making a decision when it gets there and having that decision influenced by your your emotions because you've already made the decision before it gets there. Mm-hmm. And then it just becomes about staying disciplined and working the plan. And that's something very true. I remember early on when I started farming, actually uh, my account officer, she told me, you know, we was talking gray marshes. Oh, I, you know, I haven't forward contract anything. I'm just really hesitant. And I still got old crop in the bin. She said, you need to work with somebody or make a decision and stick with it. Cause you're emotionally tied to that crop right now. Take the emotion out. Cause it is. Cause you sit there, Oh, we're up 25. I, I'm, I'm going to wait for more. And that goes to, you know, it's, it's that emotional, take that, take that emotion out of it because it's kind of your baby at that point. You don't, uh, you're afraid to make a, a yeah. decision. turning into greed and it, right. Yeah. It, it usually turns around and bite you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, you know, there's a paralysis by analysis that happens. There's this fear of being wrong. Um, and I think that when you reframe the question into, my job is no longer to predict price movement, but my job is to manage the risk in and out as it comes around. You can be right about that. There's a right answer to that question. Well, hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back on Ag Credit Set It. Harvest is right around the corner. It's time to start thinking about grain inventory loans to allow you to access capital needed to purchase inputs and reduce taxable income without having to sell your grain before year end. Contact your local Ag Credit office for more information. All right, guys, and we're back and, uh, you know, talking about managing, you know, that price risk, just managing risk in general. Um, So, James, we were talking about, you know, that emotional tie that we kind of have to our our crop, taking the emotion out of it, you know, and I think that's where you come in, like you said, having that plan and sticking with that plan when, when the market hits a certain point, you already have that plan in place. And you said it kind of takes that, takes that emotion out of it where you can stick with that plan and just, just roll with it. Well, and it takes some of the ego out of it. You know, one of the things that's a big killer in any kind of markets or uncertainty is having an ego, being convinced you're right. And we used to say on the floor, like, would you, would you rather be right or would you rather make money? And in the end, the point of that saying was to, to educate, you know, younger traders that like, you don't need to be right. You need to profit. Right. Gotcha. And, okay. and those are two different things because if you're tied to being right, you're not going to make the good decision because you can never be wrong. And there's, it's time, there's times where it's very obvious you should admit that you're wrong and make a different decision. And so if you can separate you know, those emotions like ego or the, the, the hope of it getting back to um, some point and being able to break even again, you know, I like to joke around and say like, who's the happiest guy at the blackjack table? The guy who just lost a thousand bucks and went down to like only a hundred bucks in chips. And now he's got, he's back up to a thousand bucks and he just won the last hand. He's at a thousand fifty now. And he thinks he's going to 10,000. And that guy's the happiest guy at the table. He's about to lose the rest of his money, but for right now, he's right the happiest he's- guy at the table. <laughs> it can change in an instant. Yeah, right? it can change in an instant. So, so Evan, uh, uh, bouncing back to you here, um, you know, we talk about taking that emotion out, working, and you told me before, you know, turning it your farm to more of a business. When you started working with James. What was there dynamics on your family operation? You guys had to kind of change the way you look at things. Did he bring um, obviously some tools uh, to the table to make you kind of rethink about what you were doing, or kind of, I mean, did he change change things up completely, or you know, just give you a lot of different ideas to think about? I think he just emphasized the the reality that we need to be disciplined in what we do. We need to have structure, you know, build the foundation internally, you know, have the right people in the right places. Um, what happens if um, I walk out of here and I get hit by a car? You know, what's what's that backup plan? You know, mm-hmm. can somebody can somebody take take over the marketing? Can somebody, you know, does Kamnick Brothers as an operation, does it does it continue to exist beyond me? And, you know, kind of um, one of the things I say to myself, my definition of success is if I can walk away from all of this and it still operate. That's a very, very interesting way. I, I, that's interesting to look at that way. I like that. 
because it's um, I have enough as we've grown. My stresses have only gone up, um, <laughs> and it's sometimes it's not easy, and um, sometimes you know you're kind of you know asking questions that may or may not have answers, but um, you kind of have to you put things in perspective and find out that we all have shortcomings, and um, we can either be a, a, a what they say a, a jack of all trades, master of none. I kind of want to do well in in my area of expertise and doing some of the things that I can control and um, kind of delegate those things to uh, people who, you know, can excel in those areas. I think that's a really good point. Like it's easy when you own a small business or even a large business to uh, convince yourself you own a business when what you really own is a job. And if you own a business, you can walk away. If you own a job, you can't ever leave the office. And, you know, I just got to ask, so, you know, for you guys been working together for a while now. So that initial, conversation of three hours in a sprayer. I, I've heard through the grapevine that you are the main sprayer operator of, of the operation still. I'm probably so, the only the, person in the state of Ohio that runs so, three sprayers. So so when <laughs> so when the so when your head just starts uh, beating on the glass and you're just just too many questions, is there still the three hour conversation you still call a James up and say, Hey buddy, I, I'm in the sprayer now. I need to bounce some stuff off you. Um sometimes I just call him just to uh, really <laughs> just um kind of chew the fat. Um he um we're pretty much on the same page. So with James, um, every every week, um, he sets uh, an hour aside where we have a, a scheduled meeting, a schedule, scheduled uh, mm-hmm. phone call. And um, it might go an hour. It might go sometimes maybe a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. Sometimes I don't answer because I'm busy or whatever. Um, but um, we're pretty much on the same page um, day in, day out. If there's a change in uh, what we're doing, um, let's just say there's a weather event and we need to adjust yields up or down. Um, we're constantly kind of have our fingers on the pulse of, um, what our, our risk is for that day, that week. Um, we're trying to, um, project ahead, you know, okay. where things may be and that allows him to manage it. Constantly mitigating and adjusting that risk depending. I, I, that's interesting. I never thought about, you know, when we go through a season where we as the producers, know where our yields may be going up or down, but then to work with, uh, with, uh, somebody with your risk management side, that's, you know, that's, that's great. And, um, it, it's interesting. So this week, um, this is, uh, June, you have, um, you have the plantings, uh, report here at the end of the week, big, mm-hmm. uh, big report for the uh, year. That's pretty critical. It could be a, a big up market, a big down market. It's typically a big market reaction, quite honestly. I don't care one way or the other. If it goes up, it goes up. If it goes down, it goes down. We've uh, managed our risk accordingly, mm-hmm. um, and whichever way the market wants to flip, um, you know, we're we're ready for it. And um, it kind of gives you the peace of mind. You know, at the end of the day, I can go to sleep and uh, know that uh, our risks are covered. And you know, further, you know, we're working with Ag Credit. You know, I want to show them that we're doing a good job on the risk management oh, side. Oh yeah, because I know Brenda. I know we as lenders and account officers when. You know, one of the things we always look at when we talk about the five C's of credit, what is that? You know, part of it is, you know, the management side of things. When we can work with a producer and know that they're taking the steps, not only that we can help provide, but on their own to help mitigate risk and, you know, give them that competitive edge. I mean, that that speaks a lot for the management of an operation. And it's something I know, you know, depending on the size of your operation, I think, you know, there's opportunities out there for this type of information no matter if you're a small or a large scale farm. I think, you know, at the other day, anybody that's producing, whether you be livestock, uh, Christmas trees for one, uh, uh, regular row crop, it's, it's, there's, all of us have some type of risk that we can need to manage. And, you know, just, I think at the, in the long run, it gives us that, that competitive edge that, you know, I want to say it gives a competitive edge over the neighbor, but it just gives you that competitive edge in our industry. So you can take that next step. Risk is got, risk is risk. Yeah. And um, another way of looking at things, or I look at things, is you know neighbors. You know they think they're competing and and they're they outproduce or whatever. The reality is, we probably all statistically produce within a deviation. We're probably all very very close in yeah. terms of what we do. We're all we do a good job. We have the same intentions. It might come down to a weather event, whatever. But the reality is, we all do things very very similarly. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, the marketing side of things is kind of like that uh, holy grail. Everybody wants to hit the top, but the reality is we're all human. We're going to make mistakes and we can only manage the risk that we have on a day-to-day basis. It, it was funny. I, I just think back when I was in college, I worked for a local uh, grain elevator, um, very small grain elevator in Paulding County. And there was this old gentleman, he was about 85 at the time, would bring in his 200 bushel hopper wagon and his old 1967 pull with a Chevy pickup. He'd sell one load of grain a month. I said, I said, you know, why, why you do this every month? Why, you know, why don't you just start hauling, emptying the bill? I says, I sell one load a month. That way, I hit the average of the year. You know, he he, did, he hit the high <laughs> and low. He thought he was hitting that average of the he's, year. It's just it's he's interesting. He's paying his monthly bills. <laughs> it, that was that was his kind of risk management. Is I'm gonna, you know, no matter what the market does, I'm the fifteenth of the month. I'm selling a load of load of grain. <laughs> so, Evan, a little bit ago, you talked about you know the changes, and obviously, there's things in this world that causes changes within the markets and stuff. Was there anything um, in your operation that you had to shift to have a different marketing type strategy? Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, so one of the things that um, I went, um, I had the opportunity to go to was uh, TPAP. And uh, have any of you heard of TPAP? Mm-hmm. I heard about it earlier today from you. Okay. <laughs> so TPAP is called the Executive Program for Agriculture Producers. And it was, um, it was um, um, described to me as the place to go if you really want to see, you know, what, what people in agriculture are doing, like the, the businesses are doing, the professional businesses are doing. And it was a good place to go um, meet people, be able to ask questions, and see what the world looks like, you know, outside of Ohio. And um, looking at what the operations were doing, they were all running successful businesses that were very, very disciplined. They had, um, they excelled in the areas where they could excel, and they they sought people where they couldn't excel. Um, but, um, you know, today... You know, it, it just makes it more important that we, you know, look for people that can do the things that we can't. Mm-hmm. James is uh, one of them. I consider myself a good marketer, but James can do some things that I can't do. Right. So speaking of that, there's obviously things that, like, or qualities or characteristics of somebody you want to have managing that for you. James, in your situ- in your situation what types of characteristics do you, when you have that first meeting with somebody, what is, what am you, I looking for? Yeah, what client? Yeah, how do you know it's going to jive as a relationship? How do you know it's going to jive as a relationship between a business relationship between the two of you? If someone doesn't cure themselves very quickly of asking me which way the market's going, <laughs> then I know it's probably not going to work. Um, you know, that's often the first question someone in my line of work gets. And mm-hmm. so I'm very used to getting it. But when I when I start telling folks, like, I don't know, and I'm not going to make up an answer. They, the sooner someone gets that, the generally speaking, the, the better relationship we're going to have when we work together. If we can just accept that it's a random number and we're going to work with a random number, then things tend to work out. Other than that, you know, I have I have a whole range of folks from – North Dakota to here in Ohio, right? And, and every region's a little different and people are all a little different. But for the most part, you know, people who are open to doing things a different way than they've always done it. Um, I know even as a business, when when we see something that we think of as a deficiency in our in our modeling or the way we're doing things or how we're doing things operational, we're very quick to like adapt and find a solution or at least try a new solution. Mm-hmm. Um, to the, to that sort of thing. So I'm I I want to work with folks that are trying to move forward and trying to constantly improve, just like I am, um, and are open minded to different ways of doing things. You know, we the, the things we do in, in our office at Quartzsite, I don't think are done in a lot of places. Um, I think to to do it, you'd have to have the experience that we have as option market makers to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's completely different than what I have come to see as the generally accepted and traditional way of marketing and managing risk. Kind of breaking the the mold a little bit, and uh, you know, I, I, just, I just go back to you looking so much of the model we have here uh, in the farm credit system as you're building that relationship. It's and, you're, and I'm sure you're in your position too. You're only looking to 
work with this current, uh, you know, management, but you're looking for that next generation too. You want to continue this, this as a legacy. Absolutely. I mean, I would love it nothing more if someday, you know, one of my sons is sitting here with one of Adam's kids. Um, Adam, the kids, Adam, one yeah. of Evan's kids. <laughs> yeah. He's, we're already moving yeah. about the ladder yeah. here. Yeah. All right. There we go. I would love it. No, uh, you know, that I'd love to see that if one of my kids was sitting here with one of Evan's kids doing the same podcast 30 years from now and talking about how they've been working together since their dads oh, were, yeah. you know. Well, you talked about the getting somebody out of that mindset of, well, I'm going to sell when it's high. And, but you've got a different type of a strategy where you can show, even if markets went lower, there's still an opportunity to make money in that sense. Yeah. You know, we use a lot of options and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole because as much as I love to talk about it, most people don't like to listen about it. (laughs) Um, I can, I can overcomplicate things or maybe make them sound overcomplicated. a properly done risk management has very even exposure to the market in both directions, right? Typically speaking, in the kind of environment that we're in, that should have, uh, it should slope up from the center in both directions. Um, it's not going to be perfect, but having a generally um, upward sloping curvature is good. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some expense that comes along with having that kind of picture, but that's a, another thing that can be managed, and that gets very much into the complex side of like what we're actually doing when we start talking about how options trade and how to manage a complex options position. And whether producers like it or not, that's the situation they're in the minute they plant their crop and put crop insurance on it. They have a complex option position that needs to be managed actively to be done right, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we find ourselves in that place, we got to figure out how to, how to do it right. Right. What, what works best. And I, I think uh, one thing we, uh, you look at just on your end is that, you know, those success stories you have and the clients that, uh, continue to, I, I'm going to guess they probably a lot of word to mouth. I mean, uh, spreading, uh, you know, the good, the good vibes that, that you uh, do for guys, you know, and, uh, and, uh, keep, uh, keep growing the business. I I just, I, it's just very, it's just very intriguing to me. Just, just sitting here talking with you guys, I've, I'm already changing my mindset about how I'm manage my grand, my risk management at home. Cause it it does, it just, you're bringing a lot of different ideas. Just, it's a different way of looking at things. Sure. You know, I think, we grow through um, a lot of times someone will stumble upon us somewhere. And one of the first questions they'll ask is who can I talk to some of your clients? And, and I'm always mm-hmm. happy to send out the email and be like, here's our whole list of clients. They've all agreed to be contacted, you know, which is, I think that that ability that all like, and it's not something that's in our standard paperwork. Like I, I mm-hmm. send them a te- every time I get that request, I, I reach out to each of the clients and say, Hey, is it okay if, I have a potential customer call you and talk about your experience. And invariably they all come back to me with yeses. Um, it's, it's been fun growing this business because, you know, we're very involved in each of our producers operations. We have, mm-hmm. we have that weekly scheduled contact point. Um, I try to make a point of wherever that producer is at least getting in the same physical location with them once or twice oh, yeah. a year. Um, I don't, we don't, we generally speaking won't take on customers unless I've met them face to face and stood on the farm. That's mm-hmm. kind of a rule I have. I just don't want, I don't want that to be some unknown quantity. I want to see, see the thing and know the thing. Cause I know that behind all these operations, just like behind my operation are real, are real people doing real things. And like, that's the ultimate point of the job. And, right. And what we do is trying to make the reality look good. Mm-hmm. And, and James just, I'm just curious, how, how many, uh, people do you have in, in your firm? How, how, how big is, is your group? It's pretty small, actually. You know, we have um, nine accounts. That's it. Uh, I think between my uh, coworker and I, we could probably handle 30 mm-hmm. uh, before we need to add staff. And we don't, I don't want the quantity to outgrow the quality. Um, you know, I think at this point w- with our future growth, like, I don't need to turn this into some giant investment bank type operation. I'm happy if I can have 
25, 30 good clients and good quality. And yeah, I, I don't, we were talking to a client the other day. We, he happened to be in town in Fort Collins and he stopped in. My uh, uh, coworker handed me a little paper risk report we had from him. And I immediately saw that something we had just had options expiration on Friday. And I saw that something hadn't been punched into the report. Right. And I could do that because I only have the nine clients. Mm-hmm. So I know all of their positions inside and out and I can keep it straight in my head. And if we get to a point where I can't do that anymore, then I'm not necessarily interested in going beyond that. Well, I was going to ask you what sets you apart from your traditional local cooperative marketing. <laughs> I, I think you might just I think you just right answered there. the question though. So, but, um, well, we want to thank you guys for both joining us. We appreciate you guys coming on, telling your stories and whatnot, and uh, kind of putting out there another idea for marketing and, you know, kind of just, sharing it something different than what people are traditionally getting. So Yeah, and I think that's one thing we always want to keep getting out to anybody that's listening to us is not necessarily changing your mind, but just opening your mind up to what different things are out there, different way of looking at stuff, you know. And just like I said, how you're doing it right now is not wrong, but there may be some tools or some ideas out there that you can you can, you know, better yourself in your operation. Yeah, yeah, don't, ever, don't ever be afraid to try something new and meet new people. There's uh, somebody who's always done something different, and uh, a lot of times they'll, they'll uh, let you in on a thing or two. Oh, yeah. It's one of those I always say, you know, never be complacent. Always be looking to just better yourself. Take that next. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to you know, stick your neck out there a little bit. So, well, guys, thank you very much. Yeah, and, thank you. Uh, Thank you know, this will wrap it up, uh, Brenna, I think, on this uh, episode of Ag Credit Set It. Um, you can, uh, if people want to get more information on your services, James, what is the best contact information we can put out there for you? Uh, you can go to quartziteriskmanagement.com. Um, we have a fair amount of just content on the website that's educational that I've written over some time. Just some things very specific about different types of marketing tools and some things very general about mindset uh, when it comes to managing mm-hmm. And I will say, um, I was on your website a couple times getting ready for our podcast, laid out very nice, a lot of great information on there. Very, very impressive website. Well, thank you. So, so and, and Evan, if anybody has any questions yes. for you, <laughs> how they can we get a hold of you? Um, they can reach out. Um, I don't know if you guys want to pass my phone number along yeah. or whatever, but that'd be fine. We will Probably go ahead and put, the we can here put, and, put her out yeah. there. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And we will have it on the, uh, our website with the, with the our show, show notes and, and everything. And, uh, and uh, like always uh, to our listeners out there, uh, you can always look us up agcredit.net uh, is our website. Be sure to look up our podcast on all your favorite listening platforms out there. You know, give us a review, give us a thumbs up, tell a friend, tell a neighbor. We want to, want everybody to hear our, our ramblings, you know? So I think we do a pretty good job, Brad. We try, that's for sure. So, hey, there again, I want to thank you guys, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Ag Credit Set It. Thank you for listening to Ag Credit Set It. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. While you are there, leave us a review to help others find the show. Let's talk ag in between episodes. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag Credit. For more tips and resources, visit agcredit.net.